0: You're listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. Midtown Church is a family loved and served by God, compelled to love and serve each other in Austin with God. Learn more at midtownaustin.org. Good morning, everybody. It's great to see you today. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name's Jake, and I'm just so thankful that you uh, are joining us this morning. Way to wake up extra early, the Daylight Savings. We'll uh, try not to laugh anybody that walks in about an hour from now and it shows up. Didn't, didn't quite get their phone to automatically change the time like magic, like it does for us now. It's so great. But um, no, it's, really, uh, it's really good to see you today. Really looking forward to our time together because we're uh, continuing a teaching series that we began last week. Today's part two in the series that we're calling Heart Matters. And uh, the subtitle of the series, as you can read, is uh, Getting to the Heart of Emotional Health. And I think that this series is going to prove to be very helpful for us because we all want to be emotionally healthy, whether you're, you are know, use that term or not, uh, we want to be emotionally healthy because emotional health, what it, what it looks like, what it, what it feels like, is it feels like uh, peace. Emotional health feels like peace. It feels like peace on the inside that then results in greater peace in your relationships with other people. And who doesn't want that? You know, we all want inner peace and we want more peace in our relationship with one another. And so, again, really excited about this series because the truth is emotional health doesn't just happen. You know, it's just like uh, being physically healthy actually takes some effort, like there's things, important things that you should do to stay physically healthy, like eat right. Uh, So anyone who's eating all of the uh, Rice Krispie treats that were on the table there, you might feel bad about that. I saw Justin grab two of them. Um, But eating right, working out, washing your hands. We all know right now that we should be washing our hands all the time, right? Um, These are important things in order to stay physically healthy. Well, there's important things that we need to do in order to be emotionally healthy. And last week, we talked about that. Uh, the main thing that Scripture says we need to do in order to be emotionally healthy is that we need to what? Guard our hearts. Yeah, yeah, way to go, three of y'all. for um, paying attention. Um, no. Guard our hearts. I mean, we looked at Proverbs 4, uh, verse 23 last week, that says this, right? It says, above all else, like this is the most important thing you can do, above all else, guard your heart. Why? For everything you do flows from it. Now, that, that sounds really important, right? So the purpose of this series is to teach us how to do that, how to guard our hearts for what's in our hearts will determine what we do and what we say, because everything we do flows from it, or even what we saw last week that uh, Jesus says what comes, out of our, what comes out of a person's mouth comes from the heart. So everything we do, everything we say flows from it, so we need to learn how to guard it. For what's in here will come out of here. Um, and when it does, it's going to impact you, and it's going to impact those closest to you, right? Let I me mean, just think about this. With your parents, what was what in their hearts, when they've carried around in their hearts, it, it impacted each other, your parents, right? And it ultimately ended up impacting you as well, didn't it? If your parents carried around anger or jealousy or fear or guilt, like you know that because it spilled out on you. And the same is true for all of us. Whatever is in us will come out of us and it will impact those who are closest to us. And so we need to learn how to guard our hearts. But the thing is, the reason we need to learn this is because most of us didn't have anyone in our lives teaching us how to do that. Like we were taught how to monitor our behavior. You know, pay attention to what we say or, or, or what we do. And yet, even no matter how hard you try to monitor your behavior, eventually what's in your heart will come out. And so you, if it, you have stuff, junk in your heart, no matter how hard you try to be, monitor your behavior, it's still going to come out at some point in time. And when it does, you're going to be like, well, where did that come from? And Jesus would say, well, that came from your heart because it was in there. So how do we guard our heart, not just our behaviors? I'll tell you, I, I read, uh, well, I listened to a sermon series on this topic years ago by the pastor Andy Stanley. Uh, he leads a church in Atlanta. And uh, I was trying to, I had read this verse and I had heard about, you know, Proverbs 4.23 was not a new verse to me, but I, I was thinking about it. I'd actually read another book by, uh, that was focused on this called uh, Sacred Romance. I love that book. But um it made me want to like study more on how to guard your heart, and so I looked up the sermon series that Stanley did on this topic, and then I ended up getting a book that he actually wrote based on that sermon series called "Enemies of the Heart," and I recommend that book to you. But uh, I read that, just kind of devoured it, and that was one of the main things that God used to begin teaching me how to guard my heart. And I want to let y'all know, like, a lot of the material of this sermon series is based off of what God taught me through. Uh, that book and that sermon series that Andy Stanley did because I just think he did such a great job fleshing out from God's Word how we can guard our hearts. And again, I had to learn that, and you have to learn that. Hopefully we can learn that together uh, through, this time, through, this, uh, through this series. And so last week I mentioned that guarding our hearts involves a couple of things. If you remember, it involves removing the unhealthy stuff that shouldn't be in there but is already there and then protecting your heart or guarding your heart from the unhealthy things trying to get in there. So guarding it from the stuff that's already in there and how to remove that and staying on guard from stuff that's still trying to get in there. And so today, I want to address one particular thing that all of us need to know what to do with. Because we've lived long enough to, uh, unfortunately, accumulate some of this already. It's already rattling around in our hearts. So the question is, what do we do with it? Now, specifically, if you've looked at your connection card, you see what I'm talking about today. We're going to be talking about the topic of guilt. Guilt. It's it's a happy talk this morning. Um, Now, I think that we all kind of have an understanding of what guilt is, but let me just give you a simple definition so we can all be on the same page. Uh, Guilt is an emotion because it's an emotion. You feel guilt, right? So guilt is the emotion that, that comes when you realize you've done something wrong. Guilt is the emotion that comes when you realize you've done something wrong. Now, there are different types of guilt. There's such a thing as false guilt, and that is guilt that you feel even though you didn't do something wrong. You know, we also call that like an overactive conscience, right? And you're like, man, or you do something that's just like maybe really slight, but you get really, like, it feels really heavy to you, all that kind of stuff. Uh, That is called false guilt. We're not talking about that Today, okay. If you want to talk about that later, we can. But that's not what uh, this message is focusing on. Now, this message, the topic of today, is actually talk about the guilt that's associated when you are actually guilty, right? When you've done something wrong, or you've mistreated somebody, or you've hurt someone, or you've taken something from someone. Perhaps you, you know, took uh, took some money, or you took their reputation or you took their self-esteem, or you took their wife, or you took their husband, or you took their childhood. It's, it's whenever you've hurt someone, you've really mistreated someone. And we can mistreat people in so many different ways. I mean, it could be physically, or emotionally, or mentally, or, you know, relationally. What do you do when you have guilt, when you realize that you've hurt someone in that way. Now, I know that I'm probably only, this message probably is only, only going to apply to a few of us in this room. I mean, most of y'all have never done anything wrong, uh, but if, if you're like me, then maybe this will be helpful. Um, you no, know, w- sad thing is, is that I know that, like, all of us are in that camp, right? I mean, all of us, to some degree or another, realize that there are times when we've done something wrong, we've really hurt somebody, and then we have guilt as a result. So, what do we do with it? Well, usually, most commonly, the way that we handle our guilt is we do one of two things. Either uh, we let it begin to define us, right? Like if you do something that's really wrong, that's really hurt somebody, then one of the ways that we, what, one of the things we often do with that is that we begin to see ourselves through the lens of what we've done. And it just becomes front and center. And we can never get past this wrong thing we've done. And guilt just consumes us. It defines us. That's one thing, how we commonly but unhealthily respond to guilt. The other way that we respond to guilt is this, that we try to deny it. And we try to suppress it and hide it and lock it away and act as if it never really happened and just kind of move on from that but the problem is, right, that when you try to do that, you can, go, you can go a while without feeling your guilt. But it never really goes away, does it? You hear that song, or someone mentions their name, or you drive by that place, or whatever it is, and it's something, it, it could just come crashing down on you again. And it's as if it just happened. See, so, uh, the problem with denying our guilt or being defined by our guilt is that it doesn't do away with our guilt, does it? It doesn't do away with it, which means denying it or being defined by it is no way to guard your heart from it. Instead, they're both great ways to further burden your heart. And here's why. It's because when we experience guilt, what does it feel like? It feels like a weight, doesn't it? In fact, I, this week I read a bunch of studies on this. And there's some fascinating studies that have done that where people who experiencing guilt actually, and this was a new term for me, subjectively feel heavier. And so their subjective weight changes in their own mind, in their own perception. It's kind of a wild thing because we, we experience guilt as a weight. We know this because whenever you do something wrong and if you ever go and try to resolve it with a person and it gets resolved, your guilt is resolved, what's one of the things that we say? We say, oh man, I feel like a, feel like a weight's just been lifted off of me. Don't we say that? Because we, we experience weight, uh, uh, guilt like a weight and it's a weight that will throw us off balance. Because until we resolve it, uh, it will make us relate to ourselves and to one another in a way that's off kilter. And will ultimately end up undermining our relationships. I mean, think about this, right? If you uh, respond to your guilt by letting it define you, and you see yourself just through the lens of your guilt at all, at all times then the weight of your guilt will undermine your relationships with other people because it will make you believe that you are unlovable and you are unacceptable. And because you believe that, because you see yourself just through the lens of the wrong thing that you've done, then that will keep you keep you keeping people at arm's distance all the time, and that will, that will undermine your relationships. Or, on the other hand, if you... If you let your uh, guilt, you try to escape your guilt by denying it, well, that also will really impact you and your relationships. Because here's the thing. You try to lock your guilt away. You try to hide it. You try to keep it from people. You just try to suppress it. Then that keeps you from ever experiencing the love that you and I all long for. You see, because the love that we long for is the love of being fully known And yet, still fully loved. But if your guilt causes you to hate just a part of you, then you are undermining your ability to ever be fully loved. Because they will never know that thing. That's your thing. And if they knew that thing, they would not love you. And all of your relationships, that's what you'll tell yourself, and therefore, in all of your relationships will ring hollow to some degree as you deny your guilt and hide your guilt. And again, the weight of this guilt will undermine your relationships. But in, <laughs> as bad as all that is, and it's bad because our hearts, our hearts were not made to bear the weight of guilt. They were not made to bear the weight of guilt. And so this is bad, but in light of, you know, as bad as this is, it still makes sense why we do not want to face up to and admit our guilt to one another. And the reason why we don't want to face up to our guilt, we don't want to own our guilt or admit our guilt is because when we do, it leaves us without recourse. It leaves us feeling condemned. It leaves us feeling like we're guilty with no hope of ever seeing that judgment change. We say, we did it. And now everyone knows we did it. And now we're condemned. Because you can't undo it, right? You can't unsay it. You can't, uh, you know, can't go back and, and, and do your freshman year all over again. You can't, can't go back and, and give back your child, their childhood. You can't undrink too much or unwork too much in that season. Like what you've done, you've done. And when you admit to it, you're stuck with it. And man, that I feel that. Like, man, that—that's why I don't want to ever admit it. I don't want to confess it. There's no—it leaves me without recourse. It leaves me feeling condemned, and that's why we also try to deny it. We try to put it behind us and just try to move on as if it never ever ever even happened. But again, that—that doesn't work either, right? Because I mean, quote uh, Andy Stanley here. He would say this way: because it's because your past and my past was not designed to be left completely behind that our past it's it's a part of our story and as much as we want to distance ourselves from it if you don't resolve it it's going to travel with you so what do we do with that well here's here's the great news okay this is and here's why i wanted to spend the first part of this message just trying to depress you as much as possible all right so uh the, the great news. The great news is this: you don't have to be defined by your past, and neither do you have to keep denying your past. That there is a third option that Jesus offers us, and that someone who experienced this third option in a way that we can uh, hardly begin to imagine is the person who put this third option best. He put it into words for, in a way that just is so incredibly powerful. Because this person was the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul wrote something that I want to read in just a minute. But before I do, you need to, you need to hear this in the context of his life. okay? Because the Apostle Paul, if you remember, you're probably familiar with this. Many of you all are at least. that The Apostle Paul shows up in the pages of history as Saul of Tarsus. And Saul of Tarsus was a a religious zealot who arrested and tortured and imprisoned and in some cases executed men and women in the name of God. But by the grace of God, God saved him. And God showed him that that is not what he was supposed to be doing, that what he had done was completely wrong. But then Paul, and as a result of God's salvation, became immersed, became a part and a key part of the very community of the people that he imprisoned and tortured and in some cases executed. Now think about that. Like he was around the parents of children that he imprisoned, that he was around the children of parents that he tortured that he was around the brothers and sisters of people that he had done those things to can you imagine what that would have felt like the shame that he would have carried the guilt that he would have when he looked at those people in the eyes like this was a man like this what he writes what i'm about to read to you as what he writes was not theory to him this was not, hey, let me, try to, let me try to come up with something good to put in the Bible. <laughs> this was life-changing to a man who carried guilt to a degree that we can hardly wrap our mind around. But here's the amazing thing. His guilt, it didn't define him, nor did he deny it. See, the reason we know about the, his, the things, the wrong things that he did, is because he tells us, he, he describes it for us in Scripture, but what he has to say about what Jesus did for him and what he did for us is the reason why he wasn't overwhelmed by his guilt, but instead he found freedom from it. And he tells us how. It's because of what Jesus did. And I want us to look at it this morning. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Or you can follow along. I've got the words up here on the screen for us. But um, let's look at this together. Romans chapter 8, verse 1 says this. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What an incredible verse that is, right? There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Meaning there is no punishment, no sentence, no judgment, no disapproval from God for those that are in Christ Jesus. And to be in Christ Jesus, friends, means that you have acknowledged the wrong things that you've done. That you have acknowledged your guilt before God But that you have then trusted, placed your trust in Jesus Christ alone as the payment for your sin, for your forgiveness. That Jesus, when you do this, you are now placed in Christ. It's as if Christ covers you, covering your sin to the point that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is this place. Paul says here, this, this space in Christ, in the person of Christ and what he has done for you and what he has done for me, where you do not have to any longer deny your guilt, you can own it. I am guilty. I did wrong. But he doesn't need to define you either because there is no condemnation for that. How incredible is that? You think, well, how is that possible? Well, he goes on, he tells us, Verse 2, he says this. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Now, let me explain that. The, the law of sin and death is basically this. It, it, it's, the law is when you sin, when you do wrong, when you hurt someone, when you mistreat someone, you're stuck. See, when you've hurt somebody, you're just guilty And you are guilty forever. For there is no way to go back and there is no way to undo it. But look at this. He says, because through Christ Jesus, the law of spirit who gives life has set you free. From what? From that. From that law that says that when you do something, you're stuck. And there's no way to undo it. And it's just you carry it with you forever. He says, no, no, no. Christ Jesus has set us free from that. That's incredible. And here's how he did it. Verse three, for what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh. Now, let me just pause here and just ask this question, okay? What is the law powerless to do? See, the law, whether it be God's law, which is definitely what Paul is talking about here, but it also can be applied to any law federal law, civil law, it can even be applied to your own personal standards, your own code of conduct, what you think, okay, I should never say that, or should never do that, or should always do that, or should always say that, whatever you say, how this is how I should behave, whatever the law is, here's what the law is powerless to do. It is powerless to restore you. It's powerless to restore you. See, all the law can do is it can uh, give you a standard by which you are supposed to behave according to. That's what the law does. And the law also can condemn you or punish you or pass judgment on you when you fail to meet the standard. That's what the law has power to do. But the law is completely powerless to restore you when you don't measure up, when you fall short. Of. But look at this. This is so powerful. See, what the law was powerless to do, God did. The law was powerless to do, God did. And how did he do it? Paul says, hang on, I'm about to tell you right here. He said, what the law couldn't do, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. Meaning, God the Son, Jesus became a man, became flesh and dwelt among us. That's John chapter one. And so, and when he did, he did that to take upon himself what I deserve and what you deserve so we can be set free. Now, this is so important, guys. This is the incarnation of Christ. This is theological terms right here that God the Son took on flesh. And we think, well, why did, why did Jesus, you know, why did he become a man? Like, think, Oh, he did that to give us an example of how we should live. And he did that, of course. Or to give us an example of what it looks like to really love. And yeah, he did that. Or even just to sh- he did that to show us what God is like. And yes, he did that. But it was more than that. That Jesus came, took on flesh, because in the flesh as a man, He died for our sin, as a sin offering, that all of our sin was placed upon him, but not just our sin, but according to this, also our condemnation, that the guilt associated with our sin, that the condemnation linked to our sin, that's what he also took on the cross. So that, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. How incredible is that? Because when Paul recognized that, and he stepped into that, he began to see that he didn't have to deny what he had done, nor did he need to be defined by it. For though he was guilty because he did what he did, he was not condemned. Instead, because of Jesus, he was restored. And fully forgiven. Because what the law was powerless to do, God did. And guys, you know what that means for us? That means that you can bring your guilt to God with eyes wide open. No stories, no excuses, no narratives, no blaming, no hiding. For God says, together, you and I, we can agree that you are guilty. That you actually betrayed her. That you actually used him, that you lied to get your way, that you were irresponsible with your body, that you were unfaithful, that you knew better, but you did it anyway. Uh, you You can own it, God says. We can say together, you are guilty, but you are not condemned. See, God says, when I see you, because you are in Christ... I would no longer see that. that. When I see you, I don't see that. And because I don't see that, I don't want you to see that either. That when you look at you, God says, I want you to see you as I see you. And when I see you, I see you in Christ, and I don't see that. So you're guilty. Yeah, you did it but you're not condemned. I'm not condemned. Then Paul finishes his thought by saying, and so he condemned, meaning so God condemns something, but look, not you. God actually condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us. You know what that means, friends? That means that when God God condemned your sin, but he did not condemn you. For you hear this, this so important. You are not your sin. You are not your sin. So God condemned your sin, but he did not condemn you. For in Christ Jesus, God chooses to love you and listen to you and relate to you As if it never even happened. You're guilty because you did it, but you're not condemned because Jesus took your guilt upon himself. You're guilty because you did it, but you're not condemned because Jesus took your guilt upon himself. Now, is this a lot of theological jargon or is this actually a big deal? Brothers and sisters, (laughs) this is a huge deal. This is such a, I mean, I don't even have the time to get into all the ramifications of this. But in light of this topic and to help us find more emotional health and be set free from guilt, Let me give you three. Let me just try to hit them fast. I'm going to have to try to move really fast here. I'm aware of the time, Sean. Um, Okay. The first thing that I want you to see is that because this is true, because of what God has done for us in Christ Jesus, you and I actually forfeit the right to condemn ourselves because we're not ours to condemn. See, when you become a Christ follower, when you... Place your faith in Christ and you are placed in Christ. You give up the right to condemn yourself because you don't belong to you anymore. You see, the biblical uh, language here is that when Jesus died for you, he purchased you for God. As 1 Corinthians 6 19 and 20 says, that you are not your own, you are bought at a price. And this means That when you put your faith in Jesus, you lose the right to condemn yourself. For we have been purchased with the blood of Christ. So you are no longer your own. You are now who God says you are. And he says you are not condemned. So here's the good news. If you are having a hard time forgiving yourself. The good news is this that yourself has already been forgiven. And if you're having a hard time forgiving yourself, the good news is that yourself has already been forgiven. That there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because what the law could not do, God did. And now He invites you to step into that. Second, second thing, because what God has done for us through Christ Jesus is this, that your guilt will remind you, and it will, it will remind you, but it will not define you. And when you step into this, when you understand, you believe what Christ has done for you, it will not define you, which means that when what you did, what you said, or what you failed to say, or what you failed to do comes back to your mind. You can tell yourself, yeah, I did that. But I'm not condemned for it. So that's been paid for. And that's no longer who I am. I've been set free from that. Yes, I did it. I I don't deny it. But I am not what I did. For God condemned my sin. He did not condemn me. And friends, this enables you to do something that is extremely healthy. It enables your past. When you're reminded of your past, you know, you're reminded of your worst sin ever or your worst moment ever or that worst spring break ever. When you're reminded of that, it can actually become a pivot point for you where instead of remembering that thing and then just overwhelming you by your guilt and I'm so, you know, beating yourself up. Instead, when you are reminded of that, as we will be, you then turn upwards to God and in gratitude say, look how much you have loved me. This reminds me of God's love for me because yes, I did it, but I'm forgiven. I'm not condemned. I've been set free. I've been restored in Christ. This becomes a definition, a description for you, a reminder of you. Not of, oh, I'm so horrible, but I am so loved. You see, Jesus at one point at a time he was teaching. And I wish I had time to get into the whole story. It's a beautiful story. But in the story, he... Uh, he says this thing. He says, uh, "He, uh, the person who is forgiven little, loves little. The corollary is true that he's, he or the person who is forgiven much, loves much. And friends, when you are reminded of the wrong thing you've done, you have an opportunity to respond with gratitude because of the incredible thing that God has done. That he has loved you and forgiven you and he has not condemned you. And when you respond to his love, when you recognize his love, when your guilt reminds you, but it reminds you of God's love for you, oh man, that heals your heart. (laughs) And that compels you To go love him and love others as well. Which leads to the third thing that this does. That because of what God has done for us in Christ Jesus, you're also free to make amends with others without expectation and without excuses. So let me tell you what it doesn't look like to follow Jesus. See, Following Jesus doesn't look like this. It doesn't look like I hurt you. I betray you, and then I went home, and I told God, and I asked him to forgive me, and now things are all good. That's not following Jesus. That's, that's something else. See, following Jesus is like this. I hurt you. I faced my guilt. I asked God to forgive me, and he did. It's amazing. He did. He did not condemn me for it. But then, His love, unconditional love, compels me and enables me because of the security found in His love for me to go out and confess to the person I've wronged and to risk their rejection. But I'm secure in God's love, and so I can seek to make amends. Because that's what following Jesus looks like. Um, And what Jesus has done for us is what makes that possible. For as you step into this new kind of covenant relation with God, where you bring all of your guilt to the table, you say, yeah, I did it, and I am guilty, no excuses, but I'm accepting the fact that in you, Jesus, not only am I forgiven, But I am not condemned, so I'm not going to condemn myself. And every time I remember my past, it's just going to remind me of how much you love me. Then again, that brings me to this place of confidence that enables and compels me and frees me to go and humbly approach the people that I've hurt and to confess to them and to offer, to at least try to make amends with them guys that were at the men's retreat, you, this is familiar for you, but just to get real specific, uh, making amends involves at least these initial steps. Got them up here for you. It, 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 it involves confessing. I did it. And apologizing. I'm so sorry. And empathizing. as best you can, I, I can understand how that might make you feel. And then the offer to repay or Repair. Can I make it up to you? I know I owe you something. I can't probably give you back what I took, but I'd like to do something. And friends, we're kidding ourselves if we think we're not responsible for making amends. The grace that was showered on on us in our salvation doesn't provide us with an escape hatch from our responsibility to others. Instead, his grace is a launching pad from which we are moved to make restitution to those we've wronged. See, Christ paid a debt he didn't owe, and one we couldn't pay. But let his love now move us to seek to pay the debts that we can pay to the people that we do owe. Then, when we do that, we will be fully freed from the weight of guilt. And we will experience a degree of emotional health and heart health and relational health that we all long for. See, James 5, verse 16 says it this way. Therefore, confess your sins to each other. And pray for each other that you may be healed. I know this is hard. But listen. As hard as it is to go and confess our sins to one another and say, I did it, and I'm so sorry, what can I do to make it up for you, to you? As hard as that is, here's something worth chewing on. The truth is, by doing that, you might actually unlock something in the heart of the other person that's been eating them alive. The bitterness and anger that they've been holding on to that has been wreaking havoc in their heart. When you, compelled by God's forgiveness of you and no condemnation, go in light of that and offer confession and the offer making amends to someone else. Not only does God, what he's done for you, bring health to your heart, but enables you to help bring health to someone else's heart. God cares about your heart, friends. He cares about your heart. He cares about her heart. He cares about his heart. He cares about your kid's heart. So he's given us something to do with the guilt that can burden our heart. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For what the law was powerless to do. So friends, let me ask, how's your heart? How's your heart? Are you weighed down by guilt? Are you defined by something you regret? Are you hiding something that you've done? In Christ Jesus, we do not have to be defined by it or deny it or try to hide it. Yeah, we're guilty. We can admit it, but we are not condemned. For Jesus has taken our guilt from us and we are forgiven and we are set free by the Spirit who gives life. And as you believe that truth, it will bring health to your heart and it will enable you to bring health to your relationships. So this morning, we're going to end the message by taking communion as we do each Sunday here at Midtown. And as we do and everyone that's here that's placed their faith in Christ that believes that Jesus truly died for you which is what we remember when we take communion if you believe that you're welcome to come and take it up front or we'll also have the elements in the, in the back for you but as we do here, here's what I want to ask you to reflect on this morning it's this that when Jesus' body was broken for you and his blood was poured out for you he didn't just take your sins Upon himself, he also took your condemnation. Yeah, we're guilty. That's why he had to die for us. But because he did die for us, we're not condemned. He's removed our guilt. May that truth set us free and bring health to our hearts. Let's pray. Father, Father, You have given us what we do not deserve. For every wrong that we've done, we deserve condemnation. And yet, look at this. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. How amazing is your grace. How amazing is your love. God, I pray that you would help us step into this. That we would believe it more fully. Lord, that we would not be defined by the wrong things we've done nor deny them, but Lord, that we would take them to you and find in Christ our forgiveness and that he has taken our guilt and there is no condemnation. And God, that that truth would remind us of your love for us and it would move us secure in your love to go make amends with those that we've hurt. God, we pray you would free us from guilt and you would heal our hearts thank you for loving us thank you Jesus for dying for us as we take communion this morning would you bring your love home to us to another degree that we would recognize it and believe it in Christ's name we pray amen thank you for listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast we hope this ministry has blessed you If you would like to support this ministry, you can donate at midtownaustin.org.